Welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. It is September 24th. I'm Alex Weinstein. I'm joined by Ryan Tooney. Um, we've got two subjects really for you guys today. We've got EPL Match Day 6. We're going to do a preview of that. And then we're going to talk about some of the U.S. Men's National Team players' midweek performances. Um, Ryan, how's the week treating you? Well, it's over now. Uh, it was up and down, but overall, pretty good. Nice. Uh, we got a word in with Alexi Lalas this week. That was pretty sweet. Um, and yeah, guys, that, it's really neat. You, you know, definitely can remember watching watching him in 1994. Even so, it's really cool to interact with somebody like him. Yeah, he's he's definitely like a thoughtful dude. He, he's he's super articulate. Um, he's not like your typical box of rocks. Um, not saying that soccer players are like that, but a lot of a lot of athletes can be. But um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to engage with him. Really thoughtful dialogue, and hope to hope to speak with him a little bit more. Um, if you guys hear some banging in the background, um, my week is at a close, but there's still construction going on in my home, so please forgive us in this pod. Uh, but without further ado, let's jump into it. Um, we've got the game of the weekend. Let's start with this: Chelsea and Man City. I mean, this is the matchup we've been waiting for. Yeah, uh, well, I'll start it off with, unfortunately, it looks like Pulisic will not be prepared for to participate in this game from the last update that I saw. Uh, but that aside, yeah, this has got to be the game of the weekend. Um, great teams, great players. One of those something's got to give, you know, all the title implications and, and whatnot. These are these are the ones that you circle on the calendar and you get up to watch it. What's it going to be? Six thirty for us Central Time start here. Worth I it. believe so. Yep. Uh, so who do you like in the game? Whew, that's a, a really good question because City's been weird. Um, you know they've put in some stellar performances in goal scoring terms, and then they have that flat performance against Southampton. Off of the back of that, you expect kind of a vengeance type of thing. I'm not counting their midweek uh, in the League Cup into this run of form too much. They make so many changes and tend to slaughter teams in those games. So I want to say Chelsea based upon league form is probably the, and being the home team helps. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give a slight edge to Chelsea, but a, a, a one, one or two, two draw here. Wouldn't be that surprising either. Yeah. Um, I'm giving the ed- edge to Chelsea. I just have no reason to think they're not going to win. Their defense has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I don't really like have any doubts. I, I feel like I'm a hundred percent in on Chelsea winning this game. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have. It's weird with this. You know, it's the big exciting game, but it's like how much more is there to say aside from awesome players? They're going to play each other. It's going to be a barn burner in all likelihood. But uh, we'll see what happens. Enjoy. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this one's a little bit more interesting in a throw-up. Manchester United and Aston Villa. It is a lot more interesting. Um, you would expect United to win on face value, but you know Villa had that great performance against Everton. Um, can they build on that? Uh, will United go, you know, into the lower parts of the Ole coaster, or will they be on the high parts of the Ole coaster? You don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um... I, I actually think it's going to be a, a really interesting game. I mean, you, exactly like low parts or high parts of the Ole coaster. Um, United could blow them out, but uh, for some reason, I wouldn't be surprised to see United even lose this game. Um, they they just have like a lot of inconsistency on that team, and 
um, with the amount of depth and the quality of players they have, it shouldn't really be happening. There's been more and more rumors. We, I mean, you brought you were the first one to bring this to my attention, and it was as soon as Ronaldo joined the team, you, you pointed to his body language. And um, there's rumors going around that by the end of the season, Ronaldo's expected to manage the team. It, and they're just rumors, but people are actually saying that now. I do think they're going to have a problem with uh, with Ole. I think their, their managing style isn't quite right yet, and um, I wouldn't be surprised to see United lose this game, although um, I do expect them to win. I think conventional wisdom suggests they're they're going to win. That said, they're going to have games like this that they're going to lose this season. I don't think they're managed well, and I don't think it's a humming machine. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the, you know, moving forward with them and how Ronaldo's reaction to any volatility or poor results and how that will impact the the team's mentality as a whole. Uh, Because his expectations obviously are to be a winner because that's what he is. And if he feels somebody is inhibiting him from being able to obtain that when it could otherwise have been obtained... I imagine he's not one to hold back from ruffling feathers. Um, So yeah, there could be an issue brewing with that, but that's given that United doesn't perform at the level that's important or that's expected of them. Uh, I think in this game in particular, uh, Villa have the tools to be able to hurt United. Um, You know, they've struggled when maybe some of their new sightings haven't uh, bedded in as quickly as we would have expected or maybe wanted them to. But they have some good players that can do some special things and hurt teams. You know, Leon Bailey and Buendia, for example, are guys that they're they're class players and they can they can punish teams that make mistakes. So yeah, let, let's see where it goes. I, I am I'm excited for for this one a lot, though. I mean, you know, both this game and the Chelsea game are at the same time, so I think I'll probably be watching Chelsea City. Okay. Um. Let's move on to Everton and Norwich. Um, I've got like prior to the last two games, I had every reason to think that Everton were on a hot streak, but it's very apparent how quickly the quality of this team drops off when their starters are unhealthy. And this is the same scenario as last season. And by the way, Jaime is no longer on the team. He got a he ended up getting a transfer to a um, a team in Qatar, and he's he's no longer with the club. They have some serious issues in uh, with their second line. And um, I'm inclined to say, like, Everton are going to win. I think conventional wisdom, again, would suggest that they do. But they fall off such an enormous cliff when their guys aren't healthy. So, Ryan, what do you think about Everton versus Norwich? I am... At this point, I actually kind of give this to Everton as a... That should be a fairly straightforward win. And it's mostly because I haven't seen much from Norwich yet to allow me to to give them hope in this scenario. Doesn't mean they're not going to bust out and play a really solid game here and, and get their first points of the season or point of the season. But, you know, for, for me, I tend to default to like, okay, what have they done recently? Uh, I haven't seen much out of them recently. So I don't have any reason to believe that they'll give they me something in this instance, you know? Yeah. Uh, I want them to, but... Uh, like that's probably they they need a little luck you know i think they they need like i put in the notes here they need some, something positive needs to happen a little bit of luck they need they need something i think to give them a spark maybe against everton because you know everton can be the kind of team where people get fortunate against them they seem to have that curse often 
but now we're not talking i'm not talking about like actual you know substantive things it's more of a superstitious type of shit yeah um, well, we'll see we'll see what happens i mean norwich did look better with uh sergeant in the offense he was putting in like a really solid work rate and their midfield and attacking core seem to be functional their defense is really what's what's not great about that team um and i think their defenders have the capacity to play well they're just not playing well right now but um either way i'm going to be a happy camper after this game oh yeah <laughs> unless it's a zero zero tie that you watched then you'll probably be like, not a happy camper. Just extremely disappointed. <laughs> um, okay, moving on down the list, we've got Leeds and West Ham. Um, I mean, my immediate reaction is West Ham is going to take this game. Leeds have been uh, tragically unconvincing this season. Um, I feel like I'm on board with you, especially with the return of Mikel Antonio is going to be a huge difference maker. We saw how much they missed him you would kind of expect that to to go away now you know he'll slap back in he'll be productive and i I think we should expect a good performance from west ham i i just am it's at it's at leeds this west ham isn't like a great great team i gotta give leeds a fighting chance here to get their first win of the season um, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm real wishy-washy on, on, on this and don't know what direction to go. I could see either team winning. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so what do you have a draw? No, I'm going to say narrow, narrow leads win. Wow. I've got a West, I've got a West Ham win. Um, we'll revisit that. Yeah. All right. So Lester Burnley, I mean, is this the game that Burnley comes in and gives Lester the good old leg sweep and sneaks away a victory what's what's going to happen here uh you're not expecting much from burnley are you no um i'm i'm not i i've been i've said this about I, i'm like hesitant to say what i'm about to say because it's almost the same thing i said about him not lesser not that long ago but their quality should show through they're at home they are a better team with better players than burnley uh they should be able to deal with Burnley's style and have most of the ball and produce sufficient number of chances to score goals. I, I, if if Burnley sneaks a result out of this, I'll be very surprised. But you know, I I feel weird saying that because it's almost like the same thing I said about them last week, where I was like, oh, Leicester's quality, they should their quality should show through. What's the deal? Why why is Leicester struggling so much? I mean, it's, does this go back to their defensive woes? I think it probably does. It's a lot easier to you know, get results if the other team isn't scoring as much, <laughs> to um, be, you know, really. No, that's, that's true. And, like, and I don't know, we, we've pointed this out with uh, Liverpool last season. I mean, when Van Dyke was out, they had a 20% drop off in, in goals year over year. And I'm concerned that the defensive woes of Leicester are actually starting to manifest itself in their offensive presence. But there's a lo- it's a long season. I, I feel like we're making yeah. these these we're stating these positions on these teams, forgetting it's like going into match match day six. You yeah, know? it's only six. It's not that far into the season. There's we really don't know too much about the teams, and it's why like a lot of the things we say, I feel like, can be wildly inaccurate come the next week because you're filling out what these teams are for this season. The established ones, generally speaking, will occupy or should. In, 
with conventional wisdom, the, you know, the spot about the same spot that they were last year, unless they did something significant, but there's so many factors, uh, in this instance specifically, once again, Leicester should be the more quality team. Burnley doesn't really do much that should le- trouble Leicester. Uh, that I'm saying 2-0 Leicester. Yep, fair enough. Um, let's move on to Watford and Watford versus Newcastle. You've got it as the snoozer of the week. Yeah, I know, but it's like we, we totally botched snoozers of the week before, so... Maybe it will be the snoozer a week, or maybe it'll be like 3-2 in a totally... the most incredible game. Yeah. <laughs> so, f- from a, like, these teams aren't the most interesting teams in the league standpoint, I think it is the snoozer of the week, but I, I maybe we'll be talking about St. Maximan doing a nice little jig after he scores a worldie, so... Um, so, is that to say that you have Newcastle winning? Ah, uh, good question. Um, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. If I had to pick one, I'd, I'd, I'd take Newcastle. Um, Watford, what, they beat only um, Norwich this year so far, I want to say. That's right. So, yeah. New, Newcastle, it's weird. Their coach is really boring. You know, Steve Bruce isn't going to win any glamour contests. But they got some interesting, fun players that seem to be able to express themselves at times and 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 give you a little bit of something you wouldn't expect from a Steve Bruce team. Yeah. And that's why I give them uh, more of an edge in terms of being able to win this type of game. Okay. Fair enough. I like, I like Watford in this one. Um, they started off like really slow, but they've like added, you know, like Ismailia star is like a dude who I really, oh, yeah, he's great. He's, yeah. I really like him. And I think like I I've been harping on this, but the addition of Sissoko to the midfield, I think it's been like a godsend for Watford. Um, so I've got Watford continuing to move up the table. Um, next game, we've got Brentford and Liverpool. I mean, I think everyone would say Liverpool's like clearly going to win this game, except for Brentford have been shockingly efficient. Um, Mm -hmm. not only are they in the top 10 of the league, but their, uh, goal differential is uh, a positive three. And so if you look at a team like Tottenham, for instance, Tottenham's two spots ahead of Brentford, but has a negative three goal differential. So, I mean, Brentford is playing good ball they're consistent um, yeah they're really consistent they're, I, they're producing um and it's not like they're sneaking by no. results like they are legitimately producing chances and scoring goals and it seems like it's being done in a repeatable manner so in terms of their ability to stay in the league those are great signs for that in terms of their ability to like not get totally pumped by liverpool in this one i'm not sure it's gonna matter yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I'll I'll say this: like, it's high stakes for both teams. If Brentford's able to find a win here, it's it seems dramatic to say, but it's almost like they've guaranteed their oh, God, guaranteed that's a, such a huge yeah yeah. It's be, almost like they've guaranteed a, a spot win, yeah. in the EPL next year, and and like it's like they've almost somewhat solidified themselves as at least for the purposes of the next transfer window is being one of those teams that players can go to and actually build around and it's like oh man there's something special happening here so it actually is like a pretty big game for Brentford um and for Liverpool it's like one of those games where you think you're going against a, a mid-level team which they are going against a mid-level team but they have to take it seriously um they have some injuries too Liverpool are missing a few players aren't they in their midfield yeah Keita is going to be unavailable as well as Tiago. Um, Tiago yeah Tiago is going to be out like through the international break I believe 
the Kato one is that's the one that's kind of awkward for from my perspective because it was you know he did well and then oh another niggling injury for Kato out for a little while so that that's kind of frustrating um I don't know though like Kurt Jones has slid in nicely and he was throughout last season seen as going to be able to contribute more and more um you know, as that season went on, given the injuries, but then you see Wijnaldum leaving and you think, oh, Curtis Jones is going to be the guy then, I guess. And then there's Harvey Elliott that, you know, kind of stole that limelight a bit. Uh, I'm not that worried about their midfield. It's weird how I, I went into the season um, being, you know, looking at all the numbers, being like, man, Wijnaldum's minutes, it's so hard to replace, blah, 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 blah. But then when I watch him, watch the team play, I'm like, nah, it's not that bad, actually. It's just opportunity for some of these guys on the periphery to get a little bit more experience and get better, and the level hadn't dropped very much, so if at all. Um, so yeah, I'm not perfectly honest. I'm just like not for this game in particular. I'm not that worried about the midfield situation with the yeah. injuries. No, um, I wouldn't be worried either. Um, moving on to the next game, we've got Southampton and Southampton and Wolves. Um, I see this as like an easy win for Southampton, especially coming off of what they did against city. Mm -hmm. Um, Wolves have been a straight dumpster fire. Um, not only are they not playing well and not winning games, but the mistakes that they're making are like these petulant, I don't give a shit type of mistakes. Yeah, I think that is a pretty accurate assessment of Wolves right now. They're, it's weird. I have like an affinity toward them. I really liked them when they come came back up. I mean, I even I like you know, I like their stadium. I like their emblem. They're, even before years ago when they were in the EPL, I liked uh, I liked them a lot. So they're a super something. historic team. I mean, they were they were one of the most innovative teams in I believe like the the fifties. They were a team that had a very progressive style. So there's a lot of history there at Wolves. Yeah, they're they're a fun team to lo- to like. Uh and it, it, I I I think it blinded me a little bit at the beginning of the season to how much of like a woesome time they're actually having, but it's it's kind of compounded with each game. And it's part of the reason I wrote in here like is, is this actually a relegation battle game? It's hard yeah. to judge these things sometimes, you know, when it's the beginning of the season, but um in hindsight it's like man that was a really big game yeah and i wonder i wonder if like come um you know april or whatever we're gonna be not that we'll remember this game in particular but it is one of those you could point back to and go holy crap that was actually some important points for both of these teams depending upon what the result is here absolutely i i totally agree with that um that's that that said i don't know if we got a clear answer who do you expect to win Yeah, you caught that, huh? Mm -hmm. Uh, God, Southampton at home. I'm going to give them the edge. Yeah, me too. Um, All right, so we've got Arsenal and Spurs. Um, Arsenal, I'm not sure if they're getting their shit together, so to say, but Odegaard has somewhat like integrated in the team, and he's he's played well as of late. And um, Spurs. Spurs to seem to be like a little hung up. I, I really, ever since like Eric Dyer went down, they've been in this a uh, bit of like a free fall. Um, so, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on Arsenal and Spurs? Who do you like and where's your head at? Uh, obviously, North London Derby, huge game. 
um, from the fan base standpoint. Yep. This is super important for them, especially given that both teams are kind of, you know, fans are getting uneasy. They're not doing as well as they want them to be. This is a huge game. It actually, like, in some ways, it is the biggest game of the weekend over uh, City and Chelsea yes. from, from the, like, these two what should be really good clubs that are struggling. They need something out of it. Both coaches are like on the hot seat. Um, God, this is going to be, this is going to be a crazy game. I, I'm the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm like, well, I got to fucking watch this one. Don't I? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's super exciting. I don't even, it's too close for me to call to be quite honest. I don't give much of a home field advantage scenario for Arsenal here. Uh, I think, I think, if I have to give like reasons or examples of difference makers within each of these teams, I think Spurs have the better individuals in terms of being able to like score goals out of nothing, you know, Son and Kane primarily Arsenal, I think have the style of play advantage in terms of they should be the ones uh, trying to have more of the ball, put together the better patterns of play, should be the ones with the impetus to go and and produce more chances and score. Uh, yeah, this is it's a really well balanced game with a lot of a lot of stuff on the line. Either way, um, there's going to be some good YouTube watching on these fan channels afterward. Yeah, I agree, and I think whatever team ends up winning this game, assuming so, uh, assuming a team does, uh, they're going to have a huge momentum boost coming out of it. They both need. Oh, it. absolutely. Yeah, for for different reasons. I've got Arsenal winning this game. Okay. Yeah, they're. I'm, I'm telling you, dude. Arsenal. They're coming for Everton. Ta. Huh, they might be. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we could see we could see a change in momentum for each of those teams. I wouldn't be surprised. I would be disappointed though. Um, Crystal Palace and Brighton. Um, we we've been using this term almost like a level mm-hmm. setting game. This appears to be one of them. Yeah, I. I really think it is because it's hard to get a read on these type of teams that it's like, are they a relegation team? Are they a mid table team? Uh, what's the deal with their new coach and style of play for crystal palace. And then right. for Brighton, it's like, okay, is grand Potter's plan working? Is it still, is everyone buying in? Are they still grinding out results? Which it feels like they are. Right. Uh, but on face value, these two teams are, I, I kind of assess them to be in a similar bracket. And it's interesting to see how they're able to differentiate themselves and especially keep themselves away from the relegation zone. Um, I I feel like if you end up being a bad loser in a game like this, it can have a bad effect on the rest of your season. Um, Oh, yeah. Because you, it's a game where it's like, well, we should be competitive with this team, and then when you're not, I think that it's a yeah, it's a mental, it's a mental thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking out for. As far as predictions go, I'm going to say I'll t- I'll take Brighton to 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 do it, mostly because I like what Grand Potter's got going, and I fully don't trust Palace yet. But I think Palace is maybe they have the higher ceiling. Um, in I think Palace, of, yeah, I think Palace does have the higher ceiling. I think they've got better players. Yeah, than Brighton does. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if it can all be stitched together as well as Grand Potter is stitching things together now for Brighton. No. I don't think it can be either. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I have a draw in this game. I do yeah. I do see these teams drawing, but if I had to pick one, I would also, uh, I would side, I would go with what you said. I think Brighton is going to pull off the win if there's going to be a winner. 
Uh, that that does it for all the EPL games. Uh, just 10 of them again. I guess that's how it always works. Yeah. Um, should we move into what the U.S. players are doing overseas? Yeah. It's, so when I was putting the list together, you know, just like rifling through my app and being like, oh, who played and what teams and all this. I was like, oh, and another one and another one. And it's, it's weird when you're looking at the U.S. men's national team players. Um because it's hard to watch every single game based upon what time of day it is and whatnot. Uh, but you kind of, for me at least, I kind of forgot everybody that had, by Wednesday came around. I had forgotten everybody that played on Tuesday. And then I'm looking back through and I've been like, holy cow, was that only yesterday? Like, it, shit is coming thick and fast with the U.S. men's national team and all the different talking points. And like pe- when these guys have games and how much they're playing and they're back from injury or they still injured. This is, I don't know. I'm getting more and more excited by uh, what's going on with our, our boys basically yeah, we have, every time we do a pod. Yeah, I mean, we have a ton of talent overseas. I, I, I feel like a few years ago, it was like slim pickings to find players who were playing over there, and none of them were, not many were playing in top five leagues. And now there's like a whole bunch of them playing in, in top five leagues and some of them outside of the top five leagues. Yeah, now um, it's like Wednesday, I get home from work, I got to log into like three streaming services and get all my monitors on. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start at the top. I mean, Weston plays a full 90 for Juve. They win 3-2. to two. They've had a pretty rough season. Um, I yeah, I didn't watch his performance, but I got the impression that he, he didn't play poorly. He played pretty well. But then I saw the coach's remarks after the game, and I'm not sure if the coach's remarks were remarks to get him fired up or were actually practical criticisms. And I think the remark was mostly – Something to the degree of Weston should have scored three goals in this game. He didn't score any. He needs to yeah. change that. Yeah, I I didn't hear the exact quotes, and then even at that, I don't. I imagine that they were answered in Italian, so it's hard to read into it if, unless you're, you know, Italian with right. tone of, tone of voice and all the the word choice and whatnot. Um, it's hard to get at exactly what Allegri may have been saying. I am not too worried about it. I The thing that matters the most here is Weston played the full 90, and this is UA's first league win of the season. Right. Those are good things. So I, I imagine he's going to get plenty of playing time moving forward. And even at the criticism from the coach, I think it at the least it's, it's hey, man, you're in positions to be able to score. You got to be scoring more. Like there's there's a compliment that can be, if it's interpreted in a specific way, which I already said, it's difficult to know how to interpret it exactly. But if you interpret it as like, he should be expected to do that. It's not necessarily huge criticism. It's more of a, Hey man, we need this from you. You can do it. Go out there and do it. Yeah. I mean, if the coach is saying, Hey, you play for, if the coach is saying West and you play for Juventus, I expect you to be scoring three goals in games like these. And thinking that two years ago he was playing for Schalke, that's a pretty fantastic position to be mm-hmm. in today. Yeah, I um, think I, McKinney's a very special player. I'm glad to see that he's getting minutes again. Um, I don't. I'm never going to judge him not playing too harshly because it's a really difficult place to be a locked-in first-teamer. Yeah, and I fully expect. I think they're supposed to announce the. Um, there's another international break coming up, isn't there? Aren't they supposed to announce the roster for the men's next international break next week? I think they are. I believe so. I don't know the exact date, but it is coming up really soon here. I fully expect Wes to be. Yeah, that's an interesting storyline. Nobody's really talked about it too much um, ever since, you know, he went back to Juventus, basically. Uh, 
and yeah, it, we'll see if there's any like additional punishment, air quotes, uh, to Weston here. If there is, I would imagine there's, <laughs> it's going to be met with serious criticism. Yeah, um, it will be for sure. Um, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to think too much about that. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So now we've got Timothy Weah. Uh, he gets. He starts and he gets sixty minutes. And they won. They win, right? Uh, gets solid time. I, I'm guessing Reams is not going to. You know, the, he gets sixty against like what is probably lesser competition or whatever. But this is off the back of what he gets about thirty. I want to say the previous game. Yep. Way is back. He's playing. Uh, I don't think he contributed in any super meaningful way in this game, aside from obviously playing 60 minutes, which is a good amount for somebody coming back from injury. Nice to have him available. Um, it'd be good to, you know, have a way to play wing and then maybe hope I can play as a striker. Absolutely. Um, everyone thinks he's a, a striker, less for halter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At any rate, I won't take too far into that. That's that's not going to do anyone any favors. Next, we've got no. Eunice Musa. Uh, yeah. So we were kind of hyped up about him when he got to come in against Real Madrid, and the guy that was pre- primarily playing in front of him um, had gotten injured, so we were kind of excited. Oh, he's going to get more playing time now, and he didn't start the next game. I don't have a good feel for how Valencia tries to balance their squad. So it's hard for me to speak exactly to like, oh, was this expected or not? You know, because I believe there were only three days in between the two games. Yep. But they brought him he, on. He is coming off injury half. too. Yeah, yeah. So maybe easing him back in and all that kind of stuff. You don't want to. You don't want to get the guy re-injured. Uh, but it's a good sign that when they were struggling at halftime and the guy made a bunch of subs, Musa came on and played the the second half of the game. So meaningful minutes for a very good team you know keep it up it's good to have him back from injury can't wait to get him into camp and see him contributing to the u.s national team again and um he plays again tomorrow by the way he plays at 9 15 a.m central against the club so heads up for that yeah let's see if he gets out there um moving on we've got matt miazga yeah, he just got four minutes. Uh, I think he's been getting some time for uh, Deportivo Alves. Um, 1-0 loss, just coming on for the last four minutes. Nothing spectacular here. It's just nice to give the guy a mention. Uh, and I've been kind of harping on this every time in the last few pods that we've talked about the U.S. men's national team, is there are actually a decent number of guys in the U.S. men's national team yep. center back pool. And I'm really intrigued to see how these guys end up playing, how the season progresses for each of them, and how Burhalter handles what I think is going to turn into a very competitive area of the team uh, for selection purposes. Yeah, I I actually agree with you. I think like there's there are players who are getting overlooked that we forget about, and um, I'm not saying that like Matt Miazga is a world beater, but um, he is a center back that we could certainly be tinkering with. And I don't see the harm in I like, I don't see like any real difference between him and Mark McKenzie. Now let me know if that's a crazy statement, but I don't see any real difference between those two. Yeah. I'm, I don't know how to assess it exactly. I think McKenzie's got a little bit more pace and whatnot in terms of level of a 
of play, generally speaking. I don't know that there's too much between them. And it's weird for guys like this because their playing time seems to wax and wane depending upon um, circumstance and all that. Especially for somebody like Matt Miazga that's owned by Chelsea and constantly getting like loaned out to teams. these different clubs. It feels like he's he's constantly having to go through the getting integrated into a new team process and then like maybe breaking into the starting lineup. And then like before you know it, the season's over and he's back and doing the whole thing over again. Uh, so it makes it difficult to like really get a read on him. So hopefully he gets more minutes coming. I, I, but I agree. I don't, I, it's hard uh, to get too much of a substantive, um, you know, make too much of a, a point that's substantive about Miazga over the other, the other one or, or whatnot. Um, I agree. I, I just want to see, I want to see more from them and it's exciting for me when they, when they get playing time. Agreed. Um, so next we've got uh, Gianluca Busio. Um, he starts at center mid for Venezia. That's, that's happening pretty regularly. What have you observed about his playing style in Syria? So, um, the guy passes really well and not just like accurately. Um, there's also the tempo that comes with this. Um, I think he, he's got, he's got really good snappy ball movement. The one thing and well, not one thing, but he's not quick. There was a time in the game, um, against AC Milan where Brahim D has just was able to get, he, the play kind of broke down and, uh, Busio could have, if he was faster, probably, it's not like he could have stopped Diaz from getting the ball to somebody else, but he could certainly like got on the guy's shoulder and maybe forced him to play it out wide rather than Brahim Diaz was just able to turn, run with the ball straight up the middle. And Busio was like lagging behind trying to catch him. So that, um, really is a concern for him moving forward. He's got to be quick enough to fill in, fill in gaps and, and force the play into less dangerous areas, especially in the central midfield. There's not really too much, you know, margin for error on these, like those type of lackings can directly lead to extremely dangerous goal scoring opportunities. Uh, what, and I think the biggest way he could combat this is obviously getting faster, but I don't know if he's capable of that. It's getting better at speed of uh, thought and being in the right positions because Jorginho isn't exactly the biggest, no, he's not you know, he's not, athletic player, right? But he's great at passing and controlling the tempo of the game. And then you pair him with somebody else that is going to go and run around and break shit up and be a wrecking ball. And it works super well. You know, one of the best midfields in Europe. I mean, so, Busio could be playing in a double pivot with Tyler Adams. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. So that kind of thing seems like it really works for me, but, but, what Jorginho is very good at, and I think this should come with age with Busio, is his positioning um, and staying with the game and reading the game to the point where he is constantly moving himself and himself into the correct position to combat what the if we give the ball away here, where do I need to be? Where do I need to be if I need to provide an outlet for possession? And doing it at like a speed of thought and movement that is a little bit quicker than for Busio would have been expected in the MLS. I noticed a few times where it felt like, I don't want to just say he was ball watching, but it felt like he kind of um, was mesmerized, would be mesmerized for seconds and then be like, oh crap, I need to actually be 10 yards further this way because of these considerations to be in a better position. Right. And 
I want to see that happen happening more naturally for him, more as like part of the flow of the game. But a lot of that, I think, can be contributed to being a 19-year-old new to it, and he's learning his trade still. And this type of stuff becoming second nature rather than, oh, crap, that's what we were drilling in practice. I got to get over here. Blah, 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 blah. I, hopefully some of that we start moving into a, a more positive direction. And I think once he starts doing that, the guy is going to be a pretty good player for us. Yeah, I agree. Um, even the passing range that you touched touched on earlier, I'm noticing difference in differences in his um, the way he passes and the consistency or the habits that he has in the field. He seems to be a little bit faster in how he distributes the ball, um, and he seems to be like a little bit more aggressive in getting like fifty fifty balls to his teammates or getting a foot on them. So I think I, for me personally, like I'm I'm able to see his development being in Syria, um, and I. I hope that with time, uh, he either is able to position himself better, or maybe he still just has some growing and physical maturity left in the tank. Yeah, but, that's um, very possible at his yeah. age. Um. Anyhow, you know, it's, it's. I was reading a comment the other day that's like, "Yeah, Busio Syria material, but Venezia isn't." And um, again, like I, I personally believe this, and I could be wrong. We're only six match days in. Like a lot can change with these teams. Mm-hmm. Um. They're not so far removed. I mean, they're nowhere near like a Norwich, for example, where they're not just getting any points that they can uh, legitimately turn things around. Um, all right, so moving on to the next guy we've got. We've got Conrad De La Fuente. Um, 30 minutes in a 0-0 tie. He could have had an assist. I noticed that as well. I mean, he definitely he definitely helped a guy get free in the midfield or uh, through, through some ball work in the midfield and a, a pass mostly like splitting defenders he was able to get a guy loose uh, for a one-on-one with a with a keeper and that wasn't converted but i thought mostly good things from conrad i think mostly from for all things in the season it's been good things from conrad yeah he's um he's definitely considered to be a dangerous option and if they want to start him on the left they want to bring him off the bench the kid's got special skills that allow him to create goal scoring opportunities and it really should be utilized uh that have a, a slight a slight selection by Berhalter dig here. Um, I remember in the Honduras game when I believe Christian Roldan was brought on, and I was I, I'm sure I texted you at this point, and I was definitely screaming at the television. Um, isn't Conrad De La Fuente on the bench? Right. I have trouble imagining that Marseille, um, you know, when they bring Conrad out in the 30th minute, are wishing that perhaps they had Christian Roldan to bring on instead because he would be so much more effective. So it's a very odd thing to me to see um, that some of these choices Burhalter makes. Like, dude, if you want to bring somebody on with 30 minutes left to like go and win a game, Conrad you know, De La Fuente yeah. is a pretty freaking good option, and he is an entire different league than somebody that, like Christian Roldan. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, really not I, even close. Yeah, and I, I get, I don't know, I get like irrationally. Con- angry about it. I don't think there's anything irrational about it. It's just so like, this is ridiculous. Like, is this, it's like, is this real life? Like, yeah, yeah. there's going to be less and less tolerance. I mean, what, like, like we said, when we first started covering the Americans in this pod, there's more and more of them overseas. And some of them are in on relegation bound teams. uh, But some of them are on teams with high hopes like Lille and Marseille. And so, 
over the course of time, it's going to become less acceptable that we put MLS blockers in for, and in all fairness, Roldan is having a good season, Yeah, but him having a good season and Conrad having a good season are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, we've got Matthew Hoppe oh, playing gosh. for Mallorca against Real. I, all I got to say, man, is is he looks really good, and um, I get the impression the fan base and the club are very excited to have them have him here. I'm not sure what this guy's ceiling is, but um, who knows, he, man? It's like it's exciting, though. Yeah, he um, he got an assist. Um, mm-hmm. They got their ass kicked by Real, but he <laughs> should have. Abs- I don't know how this thing didn't go under review. Um, he should have absolutely had a PK. He mostly got headbutted in the face by Nacho. Yeah, uh, Twitter just fucking exploded during that. I also I feel like the world like almost stopped during this game. So many people were on the Matthew Hopes playing like first start for Mallorca hype train. It was great. Um, but yeah, that PK. I think everyone was in was pretty pretty agreeing. Yeah, that why in the world was this not a penalty? Um, uh-huh. But, you know, sometimes when you play against Real Madrid, the whistle doesn't get blown when it should, and then it gets blown when it shouldn't at other times. So that's just Yeah, that's kind of a funny way of happening. Um, high hopes for Hoppe. And yeah. here, it's, it's another league where we have um, a, a, like a considerable pool of talent. Like, I, I felt like La Liga was one of the leagues where we had less talent, and now it's mm-hmm. like... We just rattle off well, three players who are playing in La Liga. Four well, players. What, yeah, what's wild about this for me is that it feels like it was only about maybe two years ago where conventional wisdom would have told you that Americans actually end up being most successful in Germany. And it had to do with like their acceptance of us and how there's actually a decent amount of cultural similarity. Right. And the ties um, that our teams have over to their academies. Yeah, and the United States. or uh, Sorry. And the, the United States and then UK. Um, you know, people going to England, same language, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then in the last little bit, and I feel like Weston was a huge part of this, uh, obviously, um, Wea going, I think Wea being at Lille or being at PSG is a bit different given that, you know, like who his, his father was and everything. Right. Um, but now, uh, and maybe, maybe it was the cascade of guys like Busio and all that at the beginning of this season, but it's like all bets are off, man. They can go to these guys can end up in Italy. They can end up in Spain. They can end up in France if even if their dad wasn't a Ballon d'Or winner that played for PSG. Um, like it's awesome. We you know the United States truly is a, a an eclectic place, and it's really being reflected in the selection and the places that our our players go to and and who they are too. It's it's a it's just a really cool time to be a U.S. fan from that from that way because we're getting exposed to all of these these leagues and teams that you would have never you never thought to go looking and learning about um, without some of this. So uh, I'm excited to see what they all bring back to the national team and how it um, develops our our style of play and and what domestic you know, talent over time too. Yeah, like what type of skills are are valued because. Usually different style of play, different country, different type of skills are what are successful and what is um, curated in those areas. So how does that impact? Well, if U.S. players go to all these different players, what is it that a U.S. player, an archetypal U.S. player develops into then? You know, do are we in a position where we're going to be more like uh, Brazil, where dudes are just all over the place and can play in any league? Because that seems pretty sweet to me. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, there's more to touch in on that. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to, I'm going to keep moving forward. We've got, um, Luca De La Torre next. He plays a full 90. That guy's been routinely playing in a double pivot. And mm-hmm. we talked about, um, Busio potentially playing in a double pivot with Adams. I know it's not a Burhalter thing, but if you're not playing to the strengths of your players and implementing a system, that's a pretty stupid thing to do. Just straight up as a head coach for a national team, you should be looking at your, your player pool and seeing what's possible. Um, or have like, a history and heritage of playing a certain style that caters to a certain type of uh, player system like Italy does. But Luca De La Torre plays 90. They lose. Their offense is horrible. But Luca De La Torre looks good. Yeah. He's he's a, such a solid player. I th- This is one of those that really I have trouble understanding why he didn't get more playing time in those friendly games. I know that he didn't, he didn't want to go to the Gold Cup, right? Um, wanted to go back with his club and he said no so like that probably was a poor choice by him uh given what how Burhalter acts but based upon how good he is and how much he plays for his club and the skill sets that he has which are in areas that we really we need the help this is a really baffling one to me I I honestly it's hard not to say something like well, maybe the reason he doesn't get called in is because he's a primary competitor for people like Legette and Roldan. Yeah, I, that's absolutely what it feels like. Um, and it doesn't really matter. I'm not even concerned with the why, because um, the why doesn't matter. It's just that he should, and the conversation stops there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we've got Christian Kappas. He did a really interesting interview with tactical manager this week, as you pointed out, Ryan. Um, but he balled out this week. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy for him to ball out right after doing that type of interview because I don't think a lot of people had really knew who Christian Kappas was, you know, very much. Uh, and I love that he goes on, does this interview with Tack, and then the next game that he plays, he plays very well. Granted, it's against a team that they absolutely thrashed, but it's good PR for Tack too. That's like one of the good thing I, like, i'm happy for christian i think he's like his story is such an interesting story it's i mean it's the story of being under the radar and the, mm-hmm. one of the problems that we have in our youth development system at home yeah. especially in the mls um that's on you houston but um the it's also fantastic pr for tack is like a side note and that's really important because he's 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 providing such good domestic coverage that when his coverage becomes so credible and at a moment like this happens, it almost forces some of the larger enterprise players in the space to take him seriously, which I hope they do because he's got good things to say. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know how Christian Kappas will end up fitting in for us, but it does look like we have another guy that occupies a central midfield position. That's capable of doing things progressive with the ball, moving it forward, dribbling with it, beating somebody, somebody that's left footed. Yeah, that's yeah. That, and I I know you love yourself a lefty. I do. I do. I feel like it's it's really important to have players that can do that. Um, Yeah. It's just, there's, there are, you know, I harped on the center back position with the selection stuff and everything, but we have a glut of central midfield type options that give us a little bit something different, and it it would be nice to see what they can bring to the U.S. men's national team. Absolutely. Um, so we've got Cameron Carter-Vickers. Yeah, what, getting another start, starting center back for Celtic? I, I think they had a, an easy win here, and once again, they're not your dad's Celtic, but 
hey man, he's getting time. It looks like he's the guy for them as a central de- center back. Let's see how he does. And if he is starting every game in the Scottish Premier League and Celtics winning and doing decent, I think you gotta you gotta give him gotta bring look. him. Yeah, I mean, and this problem that we were talking about a while ago, which was depth at the center back position, is starting to become less and less of a problem. It is. It's great. Chris Richards man. and um, Cam- Cameron Carter Vickers and Miazga getting not regular minutes and Mark McKenzie, mm-hmm. who's starting to improve his equity at Gank. Um, again, for the purposes of time, I'm going to keep flying through this list. We've got Serginio Dest uh, starts at left back because of injury. Looks like one of the more promising players on the field. Yeah, Good which is Dest, great and bad. and bad for Barcelona because <laughs> Barcelona are. I, I we talked about this a while ago. I mean, Barcelona yeah. is in a position where they might not hit Champions League or finish Dude, top it four. Is, it is like surreal watching them. They, yeah. it, uh, I, I'm just like, is this real life? They're I have not seen a Barcelona this bad, and I don't think ever. Maybe um, I don't have clear memories of them back, and I don't know when they would have been this been as bad as they are now. Probably yeah, when you were like four. Yeah. Over I don't even know, ago. man. I I don't even know. Like, it's it, it's surreal. Uh, Barcelona's got to sort some shit out. Hopefully, Des can keep performing. It's nice though to have him being on a team like this. In terms of, you know, Barcelona's fans are still going to be Barcelona's fans, and there's still going to be expectations around all of the players and whatnot. And to see him being one of the more dangerous players during a shitty time is kind of a good sign that he's like able to able to keep playing and being dangerous but god does barcelona need to get better yeah no no kidding um we'll fly through the last two players uh julian green played today he uh, against byron munich they got um slapped but julian green did draw a red card um didn't play his best game but certainly like didn't play a bad game he's another one of those guys where i, I just don't understand why he wouldn't be brought into the national team but julian green doing julian green things and probably continuing to go underappreciated yeah i i mean you know another thing with the the central midfield a guy that looks like he's wanting to do offensive stuff move the ball forward but not getting called into camp for whatever reason it's gonna be difficult for him to get a look i think maybe more difficult than some of the other guys because you it's easy to be like well he already had his chance you know right it's such a weird thing it's such a nonsensical thing to say but i guess nonsensical things are um are like totally yeah. the defensive uh, the order of the day yeah well they're just like the defensive mls backers um yeah. finally we've got owen otisoe and i just thought i'd bring it up because he wasn't on the roster again today and it's one thing to not be getting much playing time or not be carving it out it's another thing to not even be in the team yeah because not like not literally not considered valuable enough to even have as an option Especially after the team spent the money on you that they did. Yeah, we haven't heard right any anything new about like additional behavioral issues or whatever with him. I think, I think there's been two or three reports that like they're not happy and they they are not the same report from the same time. Okay. And this yeah. is this is consistent with the feedback that we were getting from him last year at Wolves. So mm-hmm. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. So. I don't know yeah, Mario we'll Politelli, like a, a, <laughs> a poor, a very poor man's Mario Politelli. Yeah, you. Um, 
Owen, man, just get on the field. Once you get on the field and you start showing your quality, a lot of things change. Yeah, or go to the MLS, one of the two. <laughs> Can definitely show some quality there. Um, that's it for the DOS Champions podcast. We will be back at you, um, likely on Tuesday. But um, we're mulling over some unique content that we might drop before that point. So keep it real out there. Enjoy the games tomorrow. Ryan, we'll be in touch, bud. Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, It's going to be a good one, and not too much longer before we get to start watching the U.S. again. Hell yeah. All right, talk soon.